0: Hello, Podcast Land, and welcome. You are listening to Ashes Podcast, advocating safety in healthcare.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to our second Ashes Podcast. Today, I will be speaking to three lovely ladies who head up the three committees under the Ashes Nonprofit umbrella. First, we have Tess Schulman. She is the Science Communications Officer for Ashes Nonprofit and is the chair for the Medical Device Problems Committee, also called MDP. Second, we have Lisa Sands. She is the vice president of our nonprofit and is the chair for our mental health education and empowerment initiative, also known as me. And finally, I will speak to Sarah Carlin, the treasurer of Ashes and co-chair with me of our Assure Problems Committee. All right. So we are now speaking with Tess Shulman. Uh, Tess is our science communication officer of Ashes nonprofit, and she is also the chair for our medical device problems committee. So welcome, Tess. Hi. Thank you for joining us. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, maybe your professional background and how you got the
2: science communications officer title for Ashes. Sure. My background is in chemistry and physics. That's what I did my undergraduate studies in. And I did my doctoral studies in theoretical chemistry, which is a lot of math and computer programming for those who might not know what that is. And my job as science communications officer is to read scientific journal articles and publications and dissect them and put them in the layman's terms for everyone else out there who might not be familiar with all the jargon and proprietary lexicon that scientists tend to use when they publish information.
1: Yes, absolutely. And that's very helpful for us who, um, who don't have that background How were you affected by a medical device and what brought you into this advocacy movement and to join us on our journey of fighting for better medical device safety?
2: Well, like so many other people who usually get a medical device, I went into it with a very kind of blind faith, you should say. I went in requesting a tubal ligation to be sterilized and instead the doctor recommended that I get Eshore, which was at the time new, I guess. It was the the new thing. And I was told, oh, no surgery. You can have it in the office. You'll be done in 15 minutes. You won't need anesthesia. It's fantastic. There's no problems with it. This is what everyone's doing now. So I signed up uh, to have that done. After doing my own research, I did look, you know, I did at least do that but there was no information on that really in 2009 it was all glowing wonderful literature primarily put out there by the manufacturer but that was all that was available so i got the device and then within 3 to 4 months immediately started having all of these weird new onset health problems um, migraines with auras i'd never had those before gastrointestinal issues that i'd never had before and then Finally, new allergies starting developing left and right to drugs and foods and fragrances. And it was very bizarre. And I had no idea what was wrong with me. And I was on the medical circuit for six years, uh, going from doctor to doctor. No one could give me a diagnosis at all.
1: Yeah, we've all been through that, bouncing around from specialist to specialist, trying to figure out you know, what is causing all these problems. So how did you finally connect it to the eShore
2: device? I saw a snippet on my local news stating that there were women having issues with the medical device eShore and they sort of described the symptoms that women were experiencing. And it was a light bulb moment for me. I'm like, holy crap, no one even considered that that would be the issue. In fact, every time I went to a doctor, I had to explain what Eshore was outside of the OBGYN community. Other doctors had no idea. So right. they would just dismiss it go, oh, no, that wouldn't cause all of these other things. But that was the light bulb moment for me.
1: And you ended up having a, an allergy to the device or to the metals in the device,
2: correct? I, I did. I joined the Eshore Problems Facebook group, and there I found the materials list for what was in the device. And I took it to the allergist who had been treating me for all the other allergies and said, I think I might be reacting to this. And he immediately did a panel for metals and it came back positive for nickel and gold. And at that point, I'm like, oh, I have to get this out. So that's what I did. within mm-hmm. months of finding the group, I had scheduled with a surgeon to have removal and did the
1: removal help with your symptoms or have you now been stuck with some systemic
2: problems it helped with a lot of them i haven't had one migraine since removal and a lot of my gastrointestinal problems resolved as long as i stay away from the things i'm allergic to but the the problem is is and now i'm stuck with these allergies I'm probably mm. never going to get rid of those. That's always a concern. And then anyone that has allergies knows that you're susceptible to cross reactions. So you can react to any new thing at any time. That's frightening. Yeah. Very frightening.
1: So what then led you to want to join this, this fight with us to try and get Esure off the market and fight for safer medical devices in general?
2: The The fact that, Through the process of figuring out what was wrong with me, one of the things I learned is how poorly regulated medical devices are compared to drugs, which is terrifying. We're talking about something that is presented to you as a permanent medical implant that is supposed to be in your body for a lifetime, and it's not well tested, and if something goes horribly wrong, like it did for so many of us out there that have them, it's very damaging and being able to undo that damage is almost impossible. So I joined the fight because that just should not be, it should not be a device that is put in your body that is supposed to be permanently. There should not be less regulated than a pill that I can stop taking. If I have an allergic reaction to, or some kind of reaction to it, that disparity there, that just blew my mind. And
1: yeah. Yeah, and it made a lot of us angry, you know, and the, the deeper I think we started looking into that, the the harder we wanted to fight to change some of these rules and regulations. Um, so that kind of leads into how MDP came about, medical device problems. You know, we we broadened beyond Esher and into this larger scope of medical devices. So tell us a little bit about MDP, what we've accomplished so far, and what we're trying to work on now and where we're going in the future. Sure.
2: We uh, brought together many different devices, people harmed by them, because once you start talking to people, you find many similarities about symptoms that we have across a whole family of devices, not related. So hip implants and mesh for hernia or mesh for organ prolapse are breast implants. You know, breast implants have been... Under scrutiny since the 90s, and it's there's still a problem. We joined together and decided that we have power in numbers to make these regulatory changes that we desperately need. So one of the things that we formed was medical device problems. And it's for anyone that has an implantable device or is thinking about getting an implantable device, looking for information. That's sort of our clearinghouse. We have a Facebook group, we have a website. And going forward, one of the things we're doing is trying to get representation at the FDA. One of our accomplishments is we just sent people to testify at the hearing in November. The FDA had a hearing on metals in medical implants, and we sent two representatives and joined forces with Dr. Stephen Tower, who was in the Bleeding Edge. He was a physician who implants, uh, hip implants, and also had one himself that went terribly wrong. So that's one of the things that we're doing.
1: Yeah. So back to um, the bleeding edge, Dr. Tower was, as you said, a doctor um, himself, an orthopedist. And he his story in the bleeding edge was pretty compelling because the metal reaction that he had was a cobalt toxicity that gave him some neurological problems. And having to connect the two himself as a physician Luckily, he was able to do that, but now he's trying to spread the word to other patients, other doctors, the FDA, manufacturers, but he's having quite a struggle with that.
2: Yes, and that's very common. We heard testimony at that hearing where Dr. Tower spoke from other physicians. One was an ankle doctor or foot doctor trying to explain the same things he had seen in his patients and, again, stressing that he had been met with pushback and skepticism from industry and other doctors in their professional organizations and the FDA. So that's one of the things that we are trying really hard to change going forward is this it's, it's a built-in skepticism. It's it's I don't know how to describe it really. Um, but that is one of our major hurdles as a patient advocacy group.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's really important going forward that we continue to send representatives to these FDA hearings on medical devices so that they can hear the patient side of the story.
2: Absolutely. And our second focus is we want to get patient-focused doctors like Dr. Tower on these advisory panels that hear from patients at these hearings and from the public because the one we just spoke with, we felt a distinct lack of patient representation on the panel. In fact, Dr. Tower had applied to be on that panel and was rejected. But at the same time, the FDA gave industry waivers to industry-focused people to be on the panel. So one of our other focuses as MDP is to identify and nominate patient-focused experts, scientists, clinicians, doctors who would be willing to serve on these panels that hear about these kinds of problems, because right now it is very one-sided in favor of industry. Yes,
1: absolutely. And then we have to look at some of the current laws and regulations in Congress. Maybe you want to talk a little bit about that and some of the bills we've been trying to work on?
2: Yes, one of our major focuses is the medical... um, Device Safety Act, MDSA. And this is what? Is this our second or third iteration of this legislation in Congress? Is that right? I think third, yeah. Yeah, this is our third iteration. So we're trying to get this passed. And this is the other prong of device regulation that is broken in that if you get a device and find out later that it was approved on scant or non-existent data and you're harmed by it, you will have no legal recourse if it's a Class 3 device. You will have a very, very hard time suing the manufacturer because of something called preemption. So the Medical Device Safety Act goes back and amends the um, Food, Drug, Cosmetic Act to state that it doesn't bar constituents from suing a manufacturer just because it was FDA-approved. Right. kind of been their their get-out-of-jail-free card for years. Um, So we're trying to change that. You know, we constantly tell the FDA, look, if you're not going to do the heavy lifting when you're approving these devices and monitoring them in the the post-market, then you have to give patients a way to have recourse. There has to be something done. There has to be a balance somewhere.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because even if these FDA, you know, supervised trials for this device, um, send it to market 10, 20 years later, you could have problems that didn't show up in the clinical trials and you have to be able to go back and revisit that.
2: Yes. And not only that, it's it's when a manufacturer becomes aware of issues in the post-market, a lot of times because they have that protection, they choose to do nothing because they know there's nothing anyone can do to them. They can't take them to court, They will just sit back and continue to sell it and minimize the risks, and this piece of legislation hopefully will put a stop to that, because if you know that patients can sue you because you knew of a risk and chose to do nothing, you are likely to either pull that device and fix it and make it better and then put it back on the market, or at least do a better job of telling patients, hey, these are the things that we're seeing now 10 years later that we didn't see in our trials.
1: Yeah, it makes them be more accountable, you know, and um, have some sort of incentive for protecting the patient
2: and not themselves. Right. And right now what we have is industry protecting themselves. Absolutely. Unfortunately, the FDA seems to be helping industry more than they're helping patients. Yeah. And it's time we change
1: that. We need to turn the tables and um, put patients before profits, as we say.
2: That's what we say. And as medical device problems with so many people encompassing so many devices, our goal is to be loud. That's how you get things done. That's what we found is you be persistent and you be loud.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And we have an amazing admin team and we have a lot of people in our group. So um, please join us on Facebook. Our group is called Medical Device Problems. It's a closed group, so you have to send a request to join and an admin will approve you. And then we have medicaldeviceproblems.com, which is our website and has a lot of resources there available for you. Um, so is there anything else you'd like to share, Tess, or
2: are we good? I think we're good. And um, I would just like to encourage anyone who has a medical device or if you have a family member who has one or you're just thinking about getting one for yourself, like you've been recommended a device, please join our group. This isn't just for harm patients. It's for anyone who wants safe medical devices, which should be everyone.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's very important. Um, I don't think anyone wouldn't trust their doctor until after you've had a bad experience with something and then it's like okay I should have done a little more research I should have done a little more digging on my own I shouldn't have put all my blind faith in my doctor not that the doctor was wrong in any way he's probably believing what the manufacturer was telling him but yeah you have to do your your diligence and do your research and look at what's out there, look how many adverse event reports have been filed with the FDA on the device. Um, There's information out there now and you can find it and and we can help you find that information and make an informed decision about a medical device going forward.
2: Yes, absolutely. That's our goal. Well,
1: thank you so much for joining me and doing this podcast and we'll talk to you
2: later. Okay. Thanks, Angie. Yep.
1: All right. Hello, everybody. And now we are talking with Lisa Sends. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for doing this with me. Um, So we are going to talk about our organization, ME, which stands for Mental Health Education and Empowerment Initiative. So, Lisa, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself um, and your professional background?
3: Sure. So I started working in the mental health field when I was around age 22, 23. So it's been a while going on almost 30 years. And when I had entered the mental health field, uh, back then there was a big move for deinstitutionalization in which they were trying to keep many people from long-term hospitalizations and, uh, transitioning folks back into the communities. Um, and, uh, there came a big string of like community residences opening up. And I'm speaking mostly from Bronx, New York, because that's kind of where a bulk of my experience is. And I currently still live here now. And um so back then in the early days, there was a big move for deinstitutionalization. They put a lot of folks in community residence. And it was clear that so many people, and this is early nineties, um, so many people had been in hospitals for 20, 30 years and They were discharging them and placing them in residences. And that's where I started as a residence counselor. And it was apparent then that it didn't feel that it was the right move. A lot of these folks were heavily and overly medicated. They did not have basic daily life skills. And the goal was us residence counselors were going to teach these skills. And in some cases, you know, it worked out and in many others, it didn't work out well at all. And that kind of where my passion for the field of mental health started when I realized that there were so many folks in need of um, good workers who were willing to help them and navigate the system that was difficult. Because um, you take someone who's been institutionalized for 20, 30 years and heavily sedated and medicated, but then they expected them to be able to navigate getting benefits for themselves or housing or um, basic things that ordinary people wouldn't have as much trouble with. However, um, it was difficult at that time. So that's kind of where my passion for it had started. And then from there, I moved on to doing a uh, case management in the community, which was actual field work, actually getting into the communities and helping people navigate those systems, escorting them to get medications or injectable medications if they needed it and helping to teach basic life skills. Um, So that's kind of where my work started. Um, So fast forward to present day. um, And through that time, I went through school getting a bachelor's degree in forensic psychology. And then um, it wouldn't be until I I was almost 40 that I decided to go back for the graduate degree in social work, which then further, uh, further enhanced my passion for the work, so to speak. And I had a lot of other professionals telling me that I had a lot to give and offer if only I had that master's degree. So I went on to pursue that. And currently I am a licensed social worker. And while I transitioned a little bit from mental health to substance abuse at this point. So for the last almost five years, I've been in the outpatient substance abuse field, um, first working three years in the outpatient methadone program, um, which is riddled with mental health uh, problems as well. Although the focus is a little different, it is on the substance use disorder that a lot of patients have. Um, But then there was still the component of working with the mental health systems as well. During that time, um, I did myself become affected by uh, certain things that led me to want to continue my passion in mental health. Uh, I experienced something with my own child who was an adolescent at the time. And that process would teach me that the system and the field itself really needed a lot of advocates and a lot of advocacy work to be done in order to change certain things. Um, So currently I am in outpatient substance abuse with the primary focus of working on uh, the systems of mental health.
1: Thank you. Um, I think you and I both really wanted to start this initiative because of that personal experience we both had with our daughters and and knowing other people that have children that struggled with mental health disorders and conditions and and seeing that need for advocacy and changes in the system I mean it really kind of drove us to to want to do more. Well, I'm super excited to be part of this committee with you. Where do you see where do you see us going with this? What what are our goals for the future and what would you like us to accomplish maybe in the
3: next year or so? Oh. Wow, the layers on the problems within the system are, are there's so many and um, the direction I see us going is actually really being a strong voice in the advocacy work to help others. Um, I think that you and I, as, we, as you said, we shared something in common when it came to our own personal experience with our children to really see that there was systemic problems unfortunately There's so many parents who end up in that same boat, but for some reason they don't have that same passion to figure it out or to really try to do the work or cannot no judgment on the reasons why. So the direction I see us going is actually being that strong voice, actually sitting down with elected officials and saying, we've been through this. This is what we understand. This is what our children even understood. And this is what we, what we would like to see happen. And of course, It takes takes a village to make change and it takes a lot of people. And I'm slowly but surely starting to see hopefully our network growing to more passionate individuals who understand that unless we really team up, nothing's going to happen. There's a lot of work to be done. So I do see us being a strong voice in the community of mental health, eliciting a change or hoping to.
1: Yeah, I think um, going back to the point of people with mental illness not being able to navigate the system easily. I mean, I did all the navigating and so did you for our, for our daughters when when they were going through their needs. And it was difficult for a functioning person. I can't even imagine my daughter having to um, apply for disability or food stamps or get the mental health care that she needed on her own. There, there's just such a, a lack of... Um, I guess advocates for these people. And that's, that's where I really want to come in. I want to help advocate for um, the people that don't have anyone advocating for them, or even help the families with children that don't know how to navigate the system either help those families and those parents.
3: Um, I'd really like to um, offer that assistance. Absolutely. And so just, you know, we come from different backgrounds. We have the same passions. Um, we've talked about that often, you know, similar passions and such. And I think what was what was a game changer for me in the process with my daughter is that here I am, I was a social worker, um, what we'd like to call a pretty seasoned social worker, meaning many, many years of experience under my belt. I also was a clinician. And yet when it came time to taking care of my daughter, I almost felt like I was a fish fresh out of water, meaning that it was like anything I'd never experienced before. I was like, wait a minute, this can't possibly be this difficult. Children, we're talking about children, it's got to be 10 times better. It's got to be easier to navigate the system, right? Everyone wants the best for children. So when I started really stumbling upon all these barriers and obstacles, or even being a seasoned social worker, but yet a doctor not quite agreeing with me or, you know, uh, respecting that I had that opinion or such and such. And um, I remember the very first psychiatrist, that was another part of the issue. Well, you're not a doctor. "Uh, No, I'm not. However, I do think I have some say in something. So that was the game changer for me. It was just the, every time I hit a brick wall, And it was like, no, I'm getting behind this wall. And there was some system of such saying, well, nope, that's kind of not what we do. And it's like, well, this is what we're going to do. And it's, you know, that became the problem for me. It became the game changer when I was showing up at case conferences for my daughter, packed with knowledge and research and literature and just, you know, well, no, we need to try this and no, why can't you do this? And no, you assured me that if I did this, you were going to provide this type of service for her. And it was just one battle after another battle after another battle. And you and I have talked about the concern with over-medicating of our children that now here we are a few years later. And I truly believe our kids have been poisoned. This is not something I thought of in the beginning. This is not something I would have said two, three years ago, however, to see the course of action or the modality that is used when treating children. It's just from top to bottom. In my opinion, my professional opinion, my mother opinion, it's all wrong. It's all wrong from the day you walk into an ER within a psychiatric crisis. It's wrong. And how that, how it's been approached and the way that it's been handled. So there's a lot of work ahead of us. And like I said, I really do hope that we are going to be that voice and help to make that change because it is so needed to all the unsuspecting parents coming behind us or to this day presenting for the first time learning that their child has something of a psychiatric issue not knowing where to turn who to turn to so yes i'm with you on that one we're going to make this happen we're going to get change to occur
1: yeah i agree um and let's see to uh finish up this conversation so what brought you into the advocacy world to begin with
3: um so uh just to kind of go back to I've always kind of been a probably a a natural made advocate so to speak like even growing up I remember my aunt who was just my greatest and biggest advocate for anything I ever needed to be done so I think I learned it young on being an advocate and definitely fighting an injustice that was kind of taught to me, so to speak. And so even as a teenager, as a young adult, like amongst all my friends, I was always the big mouth. I was always the one fighting an injustice. No, that's wrong. And you need to, you know, we need to this and we need to that. So to some extent, I was always some, some way an advocate. And then when it became a time where I was harmed by a medical device I was that unsuspecting woman trying to do the right thing and make good decisions. And that backfired through the harm of a medical device of sure, which was uh, in an effort to be safe, not, not have any more children, do it the right way. I thought it was the least invasive to my body at the time. And within several years, would come to find out that was the worst decision I've ever made, uh, wow. that the product itself was faulty. It harmed me. And then when I found these short problems, uh, a friend of mine actually called me and asked me if I saw uh, an interview on TV. And at this point, I'd been back and forth at the doctor. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. I don't feel right. I'm deteriorating this fatigue. I can't even open my eyes and appointment after appointment, nothing, nothing, nothing. NBC interview tells me there's a group of women. They're reporting feeling similar to what I'm feeling. And guess what? The common denominator was this horrible (laughs) medical device. And I almost like fell off the chair. Yeah. I said, oh my gosh, okay, I need to join this Facebook Easter problems group. And that was back in uh, September 2013. I joined this group, and here's about 1,700 other women on this page, all talking about the way I felt, how I feel, the pain that I'm having. And right then and there, it was like, wow. So I actually, you know, started the road to and then you, of course, had started the page, the founder, and then there was a few other women as your admins and Slowly but surely, you know, I reached out and spoke with, I want to say it was Angela Disa at first, I spoke with her, I had spoken with you at some point, and there was a few others who were, you know, on board at the time, and after several conversations over the phone, and first of all, this was like my first entry into like anything with Facebook other than just local family and friends, so it was like, oh my god, all these women all over the United States, and they're taking time to talk to me and tell me like, no, you need to get this device out, and I remember thinking then this is going to be an amazing cause. Because then first it started off with helping women feel better. It's like, well, this is what you need to do. And this is what we need to do. And then that's when the talking started up, we need to do something. Um, You yourself had already been on board with, I got to try to figure out how to get political stuff going. Um, And there was small talk at that time. And I just remember thinking, how am I going to be an admin? How do I help? I need to help. Mm -hmm. Right? Because that natural advocate in me was kind of like this is something huge where this is harming women all over the world women with children who you know have families to feed and people to take care of and and they're debilitated with pain and all these things and they don't even know what's happening to them yeah Um, and slowly but surely uh i just kept helping on the page and and then before you knew it i became an admin myself and the ball just rolled from there and it was just like going with the flow and it was sending out mass emails to anyone who would listen and i I clearly remember for like 2014 and 15 no one was listening no one was (laughs) responding in a way that you know i had hoped and i remember a few times losing some patience like this is never going to go anywhere but you the founder was like oh hell no we're not stopping (laughs) And I love that. I love that about you. I love that when I felt weak, there was other women like, nope, we're strong. And sometimes when you or someone else kind of felt a little weak, you had the rest of us going, nope, we're going to continue. And so through my own experience being harmed by a medical device and recognizing that there is no real governing body who's protecting us, we'd like to think the Food Drug Administration protects us and helps us or even things like the CDC Centers for Disease Control. But at the end of the day, it's all about Money. it's all about benefit to risk ratio and if there's not enough people harmed then it doesn't matter that this amount of people were harmed as long as a million people weren't and then it became about and
1: there was never there was never an acceptable number I can't remember even how many times we asked the FDA how many thousands of women have to be hurt. 10,000, 15,000, like what, what's the magic number here where you're going to actually do something. And there was never a magic number. There was never an answer. Okay. Well, we'll look at this when it hits 30,000 or 40,000. Like it was just.
3: Absolutely. It, and, that was always and, and something that I had learned in that process was, cause I clearly remember doing the research, right? The research that was available back in 2008 which is when I had gotten my device. And I remember clearly looking at the information and saying, less than 1% have reported. So in my mind, I'm not a mathematician and math is probably one of my worst subjects. But I remember thinking, well, less than 1%, well, I'll never be less than 1%. Look how little women, never understanding and realizing that, well, what is that less than 1% number of? Is it a number of a million, so then that makes it, you know, hundreds of thousands or, and then when the scope of understanding that, I said, wait a minute, the less than 1% is a huge number than what I initially thought when I first got the device and then now I understand that that less than 1%, you could be very likelihood to be that less than 1%, which again, is something I didn't grasp way back when. And especially, you know, here I was, I was a a mom of three kids, I had a set of twins who were seven at the time, I was a grad school student, I was working full time, I had a husband. Mm -hmm. So of course, it was like, yeah, sure, I can just come in at lunch, and you can plug me up, and I'm good to go. I'm out the door. And so and I think so many women, not just me, were in that type of conundrum where it was like, "My life is so hectic and busy. I barely have enough time to check the stats on this. I barely have enough time to really process this. It's like, I gotta get this done in one, two, three and so that that drove me into the advocacy work even harder when it came to the medical device harm that women were sustaining. Um, it was just so unfair and such an injustice. And that drove me. And then of course, now with mental health, the experience that I had with my own family and my own daughter and how we were impacted and affected. is just like, you know what? This is our calling. This is my calling. You know, my calling is to fulfill this yeah. passion by helping others and truly hoping that we can save, even if we save one, it's tremendous.
1: Yeah. And I think it's just such a natural progression for a nonprofit going forward. I mean, we fought sure fight for almost 10 years. And now that it's off the market and, you know, we have time to focus our efforts in other areas, you know, and we've got other committees, the Medical Device Problems Committee, and and then you and I can kind of work on this passion of improving our mental health care. It just, you know, it was a natural flow and it's definitely something where, now we can work on the things that we're passionate about. Yes, we were passionate, passionate about you, sure, because it happened to us, but then this thing happened to our children and we want to fight for them now and for changes yes, for future yes. children. So I'm just so excited about
3: all the work we have going on and I'm so happy to have Thank you. you. I'm, I'm really happy. I'm and really, really happy to be there. Like I remember years ago and a few people who know me knew, like I always saw this nonprofit. I always saw this kind of, progression of this could be a non this is the direction that we're going so for me the vision of actually being a vice president on this nonprofit is a big deal because it's something that i saw years ago but never really knew how it would come to pass if that makes any type of sense and i think it was just yeah. through passion work and through advocacy and through commitment dedication because not a lot of people would understand and i've joked with you before not a lot of people would understand well, how do you have this time to do all this stuff? And, and you don't even get paid for all this stuff. And many people don't understand, mm-hmm. but a lot of times our purpose and passion is fulfilled through the volunteer or through the stuff that comes from the heart. I think in a perfect world, mm-hmm. yeah, we would love to be paid to fulfill our passions and do the work. And, and that's where we generate our income from. And you know what? Going forward in the future, we may end up there. But right now, I think in order to get there, This is what's needed now. It's that true love for the work. It's that true passion to help people and to spread the word and educate Mm -hmm. and and share awareness. I do it every day of the week when I'm running groups. Sometimes things just speak to me and I know it's got to come through me. You know, I think you can relate to that too, as you said. And we have an amazing team. I mean, started off so small and we're just like growing in leaps and bounds. And I really do see the direction of Ashes being a really good direction. Really good direction. I'm excited about it. I agree. Well, thank you for spending time with me today. You're welcome. And thank you for having me. And you'll hear from me again. All right. Thank you. Bye, Lisa. Bye-bye.
1: All right, and we are back, and we are now speaking with Sarah Carlin. She is the treasurer of our nonprofit Ashes, and she's also the chair for our Esher Problems Committee. So, thank you for joining us, Sarah. Hello. Um, So, why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about yourself? Maybe a little background on why you're our treasurer. Maybe a little bit about your work that you do.
0: Yes, I am a tax accountant. I work most of the time doing people's taxes, tax planning. So it makes sense for me to be treasurer of the nonprofit. I started with Esher many years ago uh, when I had it, just kind of grown from there.
1: Yes. And we're so grateful and happy to have you. So you had Esher as well as did Tess and... um myself and Lisa. So do you want to share a little bit about your Esure journey and how you came to the group and then became an admin?
0: Sure. So I kept having problems, you know, and I was like, well, maybe I've got the flu, maybe I've got this, maybe I've got that. And then many years after I got the device, I ended up in the ER and the doctor diagnosed me with kidney stones. And Within a week, I went to my family doctor and he's like, You know, this isn't really kidney stones. This is something else. And I'm like, Well, what else could it be? And I got to thinking, Well, this is the only thing that's different. So I started searching and my search landed me on the group. And as soon as I joined the group and I started seeing the things and posting things, I was like, oh, That makes sense. And I remember um, you telling me, Get your x rays, get your scans, see what they look like. And My ER trip was my devices migrating and breaking. So it was Mm. definitely not kidney stones. It was not going to pass. So uh, we, of course, took the next steps of getting them removed and kind of made a big difference in my life and made sense to kind of stay on and say, okay, a lot more people need to know about this. and A lot more people need to know that this is this is what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And did removal help with any of your problems? It, it did help with for a majority of the problems. There's still a couple things that, that hung out because I tried, you know, this, when my removal was done, this was in the beginning of us doing removal. So we didn't know exactly what we needed to do. So I opted for the first time to try to just remove just the coils and just a little bit of my tubes, just to kind of see if that's going to make a difference. And as we've learned over time, that helps a little, but it didn't fully take care of everything. So I had to have a second surgery and they were able to get most everything the second time around, but I still have some pieces still in my body and they will stay there because the benefit of removing them does not outweigh the risks of having it removed because of where they're located.
1: Yeah. And there's a lot of women in that situation. And I think that's one of the things that we advocate so much for in the group is proper removal, because unfortunately, yeah, most of us in the beginning didn't have resources for proper removal protocol because there wasn't one. So that's definitely something that we've um, tried to keep updated in the group and prevent women from ending up with fragments like you and I did.
0: Right. Because I mean, even still now, there's no proper removal protocol put out by, you know, a necessary group of doctors to say, this is what you should do. I mean, we have our list of what you should do and shouldn't do, but there isn't a one-size-fits-all removal for everybody. Exactly. Yeah. So
1: uh talking a little bit about Easter problems. So um it is off the market now. Our nine- to ten-year fight to get it removed from the market has finally ended. And... Once we formed this committee, we brought in a few admins to decide where we want to take this group. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about the future of the Esher Problems group and what you see happening and what you hope to see happen with the membership. So for,
0: for many years, our focus was you know, getting it removed from the market, stop having more women implanted, and you know, the drive of that. And now we need to still have the removal, the proper procedures to remove things, things like that. But we also need to start transitioning from being angry to taking it to a place of healing. A lot of us have spent so long in a place of anger or distrust. You know, we were lied to by our doctors, by the manufacturers, by a lot of people. And now we need to slowly transition over to this place of peace and healing to move forward. You know, to bring our health around, to bring that inner peace and healthiness, you know, to help bring everybody else to a place of going forward happy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. For myself, I've been doing some work by a wonderful woman that I found on a podcast, and she talks about how trauma and any type of trauma, it can be medical, can cause an emotional reaction that then puts your nervous system into this fight or flight response, which I think is where many of us have been for a long time. And we need to learn how to get our nervous systems into this rest and repair place so that we can start to get out of this chronic state of inflammation and chronic pain, and chronic illness. So we had talked about bringing, maybe having some speakers in the group, maybe doing some FaceTime live with people that do mind body work and um, maybe nutritionists. And do you have any other ideas or input onto people that we can bring into the group
0: to help with that? Definitely the nutritionists because we're seeing a lot of like food allergies and autoimmune disorders. And the only way that our bodies are going to start to heal physically, not only the mental piece that we're talking about, but the physical piece is to get everything to calm down, to slow down these allergies to whether it's the gluten or you know, the specific food allergies. I know a lot of people have certain to meat or to other things and just kind of slow the body down and let everything rest. Not only the, the mind, but, you know, getting everything to relax and learning how to eat properly. I'm not saying full diet but what's best to feed your body and not an emotional eating but a like a the best to to heal you because there's certain foods that will help yeah. heal you
1: yeah especially the women that have gone into this autoimmune response and like you said they're just reacting to so many different things that they're eating that they never used to react to before yeah i think that's a huge a huge important step that a lot of women need to take So
0: for me personally, I, I could eat gluten my entire life. I have, you know, I have a sister who has a gluten allergy, so I knew exactly what it was to avoid. But until this last year, I could eat gluten and I had to start taking gluten out to heal my thyroid and heal my autoimmune issues to get that to calm down. And it made such a difference. And it was just one thing. It was more taking processed foods out and then having to start and think, do I really want to eat this? Should I eat this? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And I know um, Holly Ennis has introduced a a nutritionist into our group. So we're going to be talking with her soon and hopefully having her do a FaceTime live so people can prepare some questions. And um, I'm going to be bringing Nicole Saxon to do a a Facebook live and she talks about curing chronic pain with mind body work. So yeah, I'm looking forward to changing the dynamic of the page. And we're all, you know, we're definitely still going to be there for the newcomers because new women join every single day that are just discovering, you know, making this connection that is sure is the source of their pain or their bleeding or their autoimmune response. So, you know, we still have to stick to the basics and help those women, but I would definitely want to take the women that have been here for a long time and that have already been through the removal surgery into a new direction of healing, because we've been through a lot and we've been fighting for so many years now. It's definitely time to treat ourselves right and get into a better space with our health.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you look at how many years, over 10 years. Yeah. Over 10 years of of a constant fight and all the women, all the the men, the families, the children, everybody, and it's time to be able to create a more positive take out of this, take away for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in
1: mentioning the families, I mean, communication is a huge key part of the breakdown in relationships, and, you know, we've seen so many relationships fall apart in the group because of that, lack of intimacy and that lack of, you know, just connection, because this device can turn you into a different person. When you go into this chronic sickness state, I mean, you're not the same mother, wife, friend, daughter, you know, that you used to be. So helping people, you know, to learn how to communicate with their loved ones about what they've been through and, you know, moving forward with better relationships and better outlooks on on how to talk about that. It's almost like a PTSD, a medical PTSD that we all have to come out of and learn to heal from.
0: Mm-hmm. PTSD and then the the depression, because, you know, we blame ourselves because we chose this. And then we blame ourselves for taking so long. And then we go to the doctor and the doctor says, well, it's not this or not that. And then we blame ourselves for listening, you know, and we have so much mom guilt and wife guilt. And we yeah. have to kind of work through that, That okay. It's not our fault. You know, it's not our family's fault. And that we appreciate them. And but everybody working together to understand, you know, it's going to get better. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm definitely trying to
1: set like a new a new standard in my home. You know, my son was three months old when I got esure. So he's only ever known me in this state of sickness, but in also this this advocacy, you know, here I am constantly working online or getting ready to go to DC or to go lobby and go to the FDA. So I, I'm ready to come back into my world of, you know, my family, my home and my relationships and, and just being well. And I'm still going to be here and I'm still going to be on the issue Problems page, but I definitely want it to be in a, a healthier form.
0: Absolutely. Still able to help women, you know, go forward, but also have more of the older women step up and say, you know what, I've been there, you know, I've been through this, let me, let me walk you through this. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so much gratitude
1: and appreciation to all the women in the group that have been along this ride with us for so many years and have been there on the page day after day commenting and supporting and helping these women. I mean, it's it's truly been a beautiful support group. Absolutely. For so many, so many years. So any last words or any thoughts about going forward with this committee or I just,
0: great Ashes as we great transition and add these guest speakers and definitely if anybody has any ideas, any things they want us to talk about or touch on, they can reach out because that way we can get these speakers and start getting everybody moving in that healing direction. Absolutely. That's a great idea.
1: Yeah. So if anyone has any suggestions or ideas, you can email them to us at esherproblems at com. That reaches all the admins and we would love to hear from you. And if there's anybody that wants to point us in a great healing direction, feel free to reach out. And I think that's it. And thank you for joining me, Sarah. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And this is our second podcast. So I'm super excited about doing more podcasts about, you know, moving forward and advocating for better safety in healthcare.